0: Storia to the Rockaways. It's time for the Queens New Yorker. And here is the man giving you all the info your uber snazzy and jazzy host, Mr. Jason Dakani. here. Thank you, Jason Kelly. Oh, what a group. Oh, you look so kind. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Our Tuesday group is here and thank you so much for joining us on the Thanksgiving, pre-Thanksgiving edition of The Queen's New Yorker. It is Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. This is episode number 150. And we could be finishing up on our Bridges and Tunnels series here. We're on part two of The Queen's Midtown Tunnel. Yes! (laughs) Uh Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to make mention of that. And also, too, we have uh, coming up on January 1st uh, on Mixcloud. It's going to be the premiere of back now... For those of you who have known the Jason Decanio Show to be a musical enclave of music and, and um, news of the weird and uh, horoscopes and all that good stuff, that, and you know it, great. For those of you who don't know it, here's how the Jason Decanio Show is going to work in 2021. We're going to bring it back with the same title. It's going to be a two-hour program just like it normally is. But the format is going to be like that of CBS Sunday Morning, okay? We're going to have three news stories, three topics of varying things, okay? We'll look at them for the half hour of each, okay? And in the last half hour, we'll talk about good old me. We'll give you horoscopes, news of the weird, everything of that. The program's going to be on Monday. Wednesday and Friday, okay? Friday will be the first show, Friday, January 1st. It'll be a two-hour show, and we'll look at things from every aspect of it, not just news stories that are happening that you probably already like, why am I listening to this and how in the world? We're going to be looking at stories that pertain to what a uh, rhombus is, okay, how it got its name. Uh, Not so much historical historical stuff, but a lot of things that are, you know, how did we get to say whatever, you know, or what are the new sayings of, uh, or, uh, you know, laughing my ass off, or LOL. All these things. The times, okay? So this is how we're going to look at things. And you might find that one of our one of our topics interests you, but we hope that you'll listen for the full two hours. It'll be on Cloud, okay, and it should be fun. So we hope that you will enjoy it, all right? Now, let us go ahead and uh, finish up our look at um, the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. For all those out there who are wondering, we're going to look at the construction and the opening in early years and the later years, and hopefully that'll round it out, okay? All of our information, of course, comes from the Wikipedia. This is the free encyclopedia, okay? The Tunnel Authority approved plans for the Queens Midtown Tunnel in August of 1936, and the authority's chief engineer, Ole Singstad, was tasked with the project's design. By the end of the month, the first bids for the tunnel were advertised. A groundbreaking ceremony for the tunnel was held on the Queen's side on October 1st of 1936 with President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in attendance. And shortly afterward, the New York City Tunnel Authority awarded the first contacts for the tunnel's construction. Test bores uh, for the tubes were started later that month, and these exploratory bores utilized diamond tip drills operated from flat-bottom boats, which drilled downward into the riverbed. After the test boards were completed in November of nineteen thirty six, engineers determined that there were many geological and man-made obstacles to constructing the tunnel. First, the Queens Midtown Tunnels path passed through a large concentration of solid rock, and although there were also some pockets of dirt under the river that would be easy to dig through, additionally sandhogs digging. The uh, Queens Midtown Tunnel would have to avoid accidental damage to the East River Railroad tunnels to the south and the Steinway Tunnel to the north. Of the four shafts that were being constructed for the tunnel, only the Queens construction shaft had been completed. The next month, the Tunnel Authority had accepted a bid for the Midtown Ventilation Shaft and it had been authorized to begin the shaft's construction immediately. Construction on the Manhattan Ventilation Shaft began with a ceremony. On December 31, 1936, and four months later, the city bought the entire city block surrounding the shaft that was located. The first $500,000 of allocation of PWA funding was released on January of 1937. A 40-foot-deep layer of clay was placed at the bottom of the East River atop the tunnel's path to prevent air leakages and to maintain air pressure within the tubes. This blanket contained about 250,000 cubic yards of clay. and This was the first time a clay blanket was used on an underwater tunnel project, so digging work was delayed for four months to allow the clay layer to be placed. Officials feared that the tunnel might not open before the end of 1940, as was originally planned. A contract for digging the tubes themselves was awarded in June of 1937, and the project employed as many as 2,500 sandhogs at a time. Because the work site had such a high air pressure, each man worked two 30-minute shifts per day, punctuated by a six-hour break in a depressurized chamber so that they would not get decompression sickness. On the Queens side, it was proposed to link the tunnel to what is now I-495, Eventually, officials agreed to construct the 2.5-mile link to what is now the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway, forming part of a longer highway that connected directly to LaGuardia Airport. The status of a corresponding limited-access expressway on the Manhattan side connecting to the Lincoln Tunnel was still undecided. The Manhattan entrance and exit ramps replaced the St. Gabriel Church, which later relocated to Park Avenue. By early 1938, costs were rising quickly and only 65% of the contracts had been awarded. Tunnel Authority Commissioner Friedman stated that if costs were to keep increasing at the same rate, construction might have to be abandoned midway through. And by September of 1938, three-fourths of the tunnel's contracts had been awarded. Work on the underwater section of the tube started in April of 1938. Underwater boring was supposed to have started earlier, but the geology of the underwater section had delayed construction. When the underwater digging started, LaGuardia opened the valves that allowed compressed air to flow into the tubes, and workers started digging the tunnels under the river from each end. The pressurized air allowed sandhogs to work as much as six hours per day in two, three-hour shifts, but as the, they tunneled nearer to the center of the river, the pressure increased and sandhogs hogs worked fewer hours per day. Builders also pumped air along the top of the tunnel to prevent water from seeping in. Later, workers began wearing oxygen masks connected to a portable machine that gave out pure oxygen. And despite the precautions taken to avoid sudden depressurization of the tubes, about 300 cases of deep compression sickness were recorded during the construction process. The project was about 25% completed, By September of 1938, workers primarily dug underwater using tunnel shields that drilled inward from both portals of each tube, but used dynamite to blast through thick sheets of rock afterward, steel rings, each composed of 14 sections which individually weighed up to 3,500 pounds, were laid within the tunnel. In March of 1939, the PWA released a report predicting that the tunnel would not be complete until the summer of 1941, eight months later than originally planned, due to geological difficulties. Around the same time, Robert Moses alleged that the Queens Midtown Tunnel would not be profitable during an unrelated argument about the feasibility of building the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. This prompted the New York State Legislature to conduct an investigation into the Queen's Midtown Tunnel's costs. Moses' alleg- allegation also originated from his resentment toward the Tunnel Authority. Work proceeded quickly afterward, and the tunnel was 60% complete by May of 1939. Construction was briefly halted in July when Sand Hogs went on strike for two weeks due to a disagreement between two unions. By that time, the two segments of the tubes were only separated by 850 feet. Workers digging from the Manhattan side no longer required compressed air because the tubes had reached a rock cropping. The sand hogs sped up their pace of digging, and by late September, the project was 45 days ahead of schedule. The disjointed segments of both tubes were connected with a hollowing through ceremony in November of 1939, with a margin of error of less than 0.5 inches. In January of 1940, another construction milestone was reached when the last of 1,622 metal rings were installed in the tubes. The fans were being installed in the ventilation buildings, and property at the Queen's Portal was being demolished to make way for the tunnel approaches. By May of 1940, only three contracts remained to be awarded, and the tunnel was 90% complete. Now, the Queens Midtown Tunnel finished on schedule in late 1940. Roosevelt was the first person to drive through the tunnel on October 28th of 1940. The general public could not use it until mid-November, and an advertisement for the tunnel published in newspapers just before its opening touted it as the toll that isn't a toll with the slogan, Cross in three minutes, save in three ways, time, money, and gas. The Queens Chamber of Commerce's president praised the Queens Midtown Tunnel as something that would spur development in Queens. The tunnel was open to the general public on November 15, 1940, at a ceremony on the Queens side. The attendees included the Queens and Manhattan Borough Presidents, U.S. Senator Robert F. Wagner, and New York City Council President Newbold Morris who was attending in LaGuardia's steed. The tubes were fitted with a then-new lighting technology that allowed drivers to move quickly, to adjust to more quickly, adjust to the sunlight upon leaving the tunnel. 150 workers were hired and trained to operate the tunnel. In a report published in August of 1939... The New York City Tunnel Authority had estimated that the tunnel would carry 10 million vehicles in its first year and would reach its 16 million annual vehicle capacity by 1952. Against expectation, traffic counts in the first months were lower than expected because motorists could use the East River bridges to the north and south for free. The tunnel had carried 1 million vehicles by February of 1941, three months after opening. This was further exasperated by the gasoline rationing during World War II, which caused vehicle trips in general to decline. The tunnel was closed during the nighttime, beginning in February of 1943, but due to growing traffic or growing nighttime traffic demand, 24-hour hour operation resumed in July of 1944. By 1946, the tunnel was running about a $5.8 million deficit. The Triborough Bridge and Tunnel Authority, the successor to the New York City Tunnel Authority, recorded a 72% increase in tunnel traffic in the first half of that year compared to the same time frame in 1945. The tunnel recorded its first profits in 1949 with a net earning of $659,505. In 1950, the TBTA and several airlines agreed to build the East Side Airlines Terminal at First Avenue between 37th and 38th Streets on the Manhattan side of the tunnel. When the terminal opened in 1953, it accommodated bus routes that ran to either LaGuardia or John F. Kennedy International Airports. The terminal operated until 1983, and it was sold in 1985. This site is now occupied by the Corinthian, which is an apartment complex. A connector between the Queens Midtown and Lincoln Tunnels was again proposed in 1950, but was dropped for lack of support. Nine years later, Robert Moses proposed adding a third tube to the Queens Midtown Tunnel to relieve congestion with a possible extension to Brooklyn. The tube would be located to the south of the two existing tubes, In January of 1965, Moses announced that money had been allocated to a feasibility study for the third tube, which was projected to cost $120 million. This proposal was part of his plan to build a mid-Manhattan expressway over 30th Street. The third tube was to connect to the ultimately unbuilt Bushwick Expressway, which would have run across northeastern Brooklyn and southwestern Queens before intersecting with the present-day Nassau Expressway. Now, in December of 1965, Moses canceled his plans for the Mid-Manhattan Expressway due to opposition from the city government. He affirmed that the TBTA would construct a third tube for the Queens-Midtown Tunnel because it did not require the city's approval. And, he stated that the new tube could be completed four and a half years after construction started. Now, according to Moses, after the third tube was completed, two tubes would be dedicated exclusively to westbound and eastbound traffic, while the center tube would become a reversible flow roadway. The Queen's Chamber of Commerce supported the third tube project, but citywide officials opposed it. Moses ignored the city's disapproval, and in March of 1966, advertised for bids to make test borings for the third tube. The TBTA continued studying the feasibility of a third tube through 1967, but ultimately a third tube was never built. Now in 1971, one lane of the Queens Midtown Tunnel's eastbound tube was converted to a westbound high-occupancy vehicle and bus lane during the morning rush hour. The reversible tunnel lane was fed by an HOV slash bus lane along I-495, which started two miles east of the tunnel's Queens portal and only operated during the morning peak period. Now, each spring from 1981 to 2016, the tunnel was closed to traffic for a few hours overnight to accommodate the annual Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus Animal Walk. Several nights before the circus opened at Madison Square Garden, the elephants marched into Manhattan and down 34th Street to the arena. The animals had formerly been transported into the city via the West Side Railroad line in Manhattan, but the southernmost part of the line, the High Line Viaduct, was closed in 1981 during construction of the Javits Center. The first animal walk through the Queens Midtown Tunnel memorialized a similar event Ten years earlier, when the animals had to walk Manhattan through the Lincoln Tunnel due to a railroad strike. The walk became an annual tradition, and crowds of several hundred people would gather at the Queens Midtown Tunnel's Queens Portal to see the march in the middle of the night. Even so, the march was controversial and attracted protests from organizations who opposed what they saw as the inhumane treatment of the circus animals. When the circus stopped using elephants in the in 2016, the elephant walk ceased. The tube's roadways, <clears throat> which were originally paved with bricks, but the road surface was replaced with asphalt in 1995. Two years later, the T B T A successor M T A Bridges and Tunnels announced its intention to renovate the roof of the Queens Midtown Tunnel. The 132 million dollar project. Completed in May of 2001 involved replacing the roof with 930 slabs of concrete that were suspended from brackets glued onto the tunnel shell. The major contract for the renovation project, worth $97 million, received scrutiny when it was discovered that the contractor had given money to the political party of Governor George Pataki just before the contract was awarded. A state judge found that the MTA did not break any laws or ethical obligations when it awarded the contract to the Pataki donor instead of another competitor. The MTA started replacing the 23 fans within the tunnel's ventilation structures in 2004, and the fan replacement project was completed in 2008. For a short time after the September 11th attacks in 2001, All Manhattan-bound traffic through the tunnel was subject to a high-occupancy vehicle restriction. This restriction was removed in April of 2002. In 2017 to 2018, the tiled walls in the Queens, Midtown, and Brooklyn Battery Tunnels were replaced due to damage suffering during Hurricane Sandy in 2012. The retiled white walls have gold and blue stripes representing the official state colors of New York. And there was a controversy over the retiling of the tunnels, which cost a combined $30 million because of the ongoing transit crisis at the time. And there you have it, the finale of the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. The history has been reported. Yes. Very good. All right. concludes the look at the East River tunnels that have some pretty good history. Most of the other tunnels on the East River and for all of the other rivers are subway tunnels and to look at those we would have to basically, you would have had to go back to our um, series on trains and of course the tunnels themselves. We, we talked a lot about that. The next one coming up on our look of bridges and uh, tunnels, is going to be the Holland Tunnel. And that is going to be an interesting one for history. But that one we will not start, not start, until November 28th, that Saturday. Because, folks, Thanksgiving Day is coming up in two days on the 26th, on this Thursday. And normally we would have a start of of a new series. So, episode 151 will be our special Thanksgiving Day show. And we look forward to it. Because we're going to talk about Thanksgiving in the States. A traditional thing. And we're also going to pretty much be looking at the history. The early Thanksgiving observances. And such a good thing, too. So, if... You're, and we're going to do this after I eat. But if you're eating while you're listening to this, this will get you hungry and all the other good stuff. So we'll look at the Queens New Yorker Thanksgiving style on the 26th, episode number 151. Should be fun. And hopefully for all of you out there that celebrate Thanksgiving, remember to always... Think about those who are less fortunate than you because those who do not have enough to eat on a daily basis need our help the most. So we offer our prayers and our thanks to those who can serve them with all of their basic necessities. We thank the churches. We thank shelters. We thank food distribution centers, Second Harvest Food Bank for all of their work through these this week, especially. We want everybody to have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. But if your Thanksgiving is not happy, make it a memorable one with and start some new traditions as well. We'll look at all of that and more on The Queen's New Yorker. I'm Jason Icanio hoping you have a great day. We will see you on Thursday for the Thanksgiving edition right here. And remember, be honest, be real, and keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. See you on Thursday. Bye-bye. You have been watching The Queen's New Yorker. This is Jason Kelly on a Jason DeCannio internet presentation. Thank you for your support. There we go, there's all the people that do the move